the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Folks, welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. It's the show featuring Go-Go the Chimp. Nothing like a chimp to liven up the radio show. <laughs> Easy there. Go-Go, Go-Go. No, Go-Go, no! Folks, you're listening to a special edition of the show. These are the audio versions of amazing conversations I had. Socrates in the studio. These have not aired yet. The videos are not out yet. We want to encourage you to go to SocratesInTheCityPlus.com, SocratesInTheCityPlus.com. Sign up. This goes live January 4th. You can see the videos. It's amazing. I also want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, go to MetaxasTalk.com and give to CSI, one of the greatest things you could conceivably do around the Christmas season, an amazing gift for anyone you can think of. Go to, go to MetaxasTalk.com. Click on the CSI banner. Be generous. It's a beautiful thing. Metaxastalk.com. And don't forget, SocratesInTheCityPlus.com. And now here's my conversation with the great Anthony Bradley at Socrates in the Studio. Here it is. Welcome to Socrates in the Studio. Today, my guest is Dr. Anthony Bradley. Uh, he is a distinguished senior fellow uh, at the Acton Institute. Uh, he currently teaches at Kuiper College uh, in Michigan. For 14 years, uh, he was a distinguished professor at the King's College here uh, in New York City. He's also a theologian in residence uh, at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, uh, Lincoln Square Campus here in New York City. Today, we're going to discuss with him his brand new book, Heroic Fraternities. Here is my conversation with Dr. Anthony Bradley. Welcome to Socrates in the studio. Uh, I am particularly uh, excited, as I think you will see. I, I honestly get so excited about this subject. I was thrilled you wrote about it. So before I tell the audience what it's about, why don't you do that uh, and, and how you came to write the book. That's a great question. Again, thanks for having me on the show. You know, we have about 350,000 men currently in fraternities in this country. You, wait, na now? Today. 350,000 men in fraternities today. In, right. In, okay. I, wow. Yeah. In about, in about 4,000 chapters. And I see this as an opportunity to do two things. One is to make university life better, but also to produce the next generation of America's leaders. Because if you look statistically... Uh, and, and historically, at the history of fraternities and the types of men they produce, it's something like in the 70 to 80 percentile of all CEOs, all members of Congress, all presidents and vice presidents. And if you look at the Supreme Court, et cetera, where do those men come from? They come from fraternities. 
And so when we sort of talk about the crisis of men and masculinity in America, I'm thinking, well, one of the best places, I think, to resurrect the sense of, of producing America's leaders is fraternities. Now, I came to write the book because I was concerned that a number of fraternities were getting suspended. In fact, what I noticed in the news cycle, this is before COVID, is that once a week, somewhere in America, a fraternity was being suspended every single week. And I thought, what is happening with fraternities? And I began to look at the data. And as you look at those stories, I began to see these patterns, right? I mean, they were being suspended for hazing violations. They were being suspended for alcohol abuse and things like that. And at the King's College, I taught a class on the history of masculinity in America. We did a a unit on the history of fraternities. And when I looked at the history of fraternities and I looked at the current expression of fraternities, I was confused at the disparity. And what's fascinating about the disparity is that in the beginning, fraternities were organizations that were were primarily literary societies. So men in the 19th century, in the 19th century, in the early to mid 19th century, fraternities were places where men would come and read Socrates. They would read Aristotle. They would read the classics and they would debate them together. This is, this is what they would do for fun. In fact, the libraries in a lot of fraternity houses were better than the, than the libraries at the university. So it was a, it was a, a, a sort of a finishing Opportunity for men of arts and letters to prepare them for leadership. And what I noticed when I looked at the, the, the narrative and the story is that fraternities began this way, and then we found ourselves in currently with all these suspensions. And what I noticed is that in 1978, and you will remember this, there is a film called Animal House. I, the only reason I remember it was because it was... Uh required viewing by people in my high school you know like you everyone had to go uh to to see it and i guess i I guess i thought it was 1979 but maybe it was made in 78 but it had such a powerful impact that when i entered college in 1980 where i went to school everywhere they were doing toga parties, which was okay. So it would, this was this was one of those films, Animal House, and I'm glad you brought it up because obviously I was going to at some point. It really was a cultural landmark. It's like a film like The Godfather that it's more than just a film. It basically affects thinking about college life, about uh, fraternity life, obviously, um, and was very influential probably mostly for ill, but it had, it had huge cultural impact. It had a massive cultural impact. In fact, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that the reason that we see some of the, the, the challenges with some chapters on some schools is actually because of that film. We can trace it yeah. back to that. Oh, no question. Because what happened, right? As you said, a bunch of middle school and high school boys watched that film in 1978, and they said, when I go to college, I'm going to do that. Right. And then they went and they did that. And every fraternity film after Animal House is a variation on the theme of that film. It's probably, I would say, one of the most impactful cultural films, yes. sort of projects yeah. in, in modern American history. And for people who don't know what it's about, because there are tons of younger people watching right now who, you know, they were not, uh, they were not around or it's so far back now that they, they don't, you know, 
they, they think it's like a classic film from the 30s. Th- that, that film glorified uh, drunkenness. I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, this gets into a larger conversation about media and the glorification of bad behavior. But you had one of the biggest stars of the time, John Belushi, who was one of the main figures on Saturday Night Live, starring in this film as what a kind of a model of debauchery like that was his thing and it was cool it was you know cool funny that whole idea was pushed very very strongly in the culture with with a with a principal figure and then you fast forward you know 20 years later or so and you get Will Ferrell another huge figure in films and an SNL appearing in a similar film called Old School or whatever but it, it definitely started with Animal House. Absolutely. And what's really fascinating to me, quite sad, is that what you see in Animal House, that is not what fraternities are about. In fact, I was in fraternity when when I was in college. We weren't about that. Most of fraternities at Clemson were not about that. But that genre, that media project, has really sort of stereotyped in a negative way what fraternity culture is like. So here's the problem. There are lots of parents who, who are dissuading their sons from joining fraternities because of that film and they're missing out on all of the good things that fraternities could possibly produce and, and, and provide and so I wanted to get back right, this crazy project I have to try to re- sort of infuse virtue back into Greek life it's a crazy project but I just believe that we have a generation of men who want to use their presence and their power and their creativity for the benefit of other people. They want to do that, but they don't know how. And so I said, well, I'll I'll at least give them a framework for what that can look like. Folks, right now in other parts of the world, people's lives are being threatened simply for believing in Jesus. People have been enslaved for their faith. So listeners to this show know that I'm passionate about the work of Christian Solidarity International because they protect and free those who are being persecuted and enslaved for their Christian faith. I've got to thank you for your life-changing generosity for years now. If you've given a CSI through this program, you have played a role in freeing literally thousands of captives. So as we near the end of this year, can I ask you to give once again your gift of just $250 will free a woman in Sudan who has been enslaved for years, call 888-253-3522 or go to metaxastalk.com. Please do it, metaxastalk.com. Folks, right now in other parts of the world, people's lives are being threatened simply for believing in Jesus. People have been enslaved for their faith. So listeners to this show know that I'm passionate about the work of Christian Solidarity International because they protect and free those who are being persecuted and enslaved for their Christian faith. I've got to thank you for your life-changing generosity for years now. If you've given a CSI through this program, you have played a role in freeing literally thousands of captives. So as we near the end of this year, can I ask you to give once again your gift of just $250 will free a woman in Sudan who has been enslaved for years. You can buy a believer's freedom and provide her with food and other supplies necessary to start her new life. Just $250. Maybe you can give more and free more people. Call 888-253-3522, 888-253-3522, or go to metaxastalk.com. 
please do it. Metaxastalk.com. Legacy Precious Metals has a revolutionary new online platform that allows you to invest in real gold and silver online. In a few easy steps, you can open an account online, select your metals of choice, and choose to have them stored in a vault or shipped to your door. You'll have access to a dashboard where you can track your portfolio growth in real time, anytime. You'll see transparent pricing on each coin and bar. This puts you in complete control of your money. The platform is free to sign up for. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com and open your account and see this new investing platform for yourself. Gold can hedge against inflation and against the volatile stock market. A true diversified portfolio isn't just more stocks and bonds, but different asset classes. This new platform allows you to make investments in gold and silver, no matter how small or large, with a few clicks. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com to get started. You're going to love this free new tool that they've added. Please go check it out today. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. It's the most wonderful. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Biography with regard to uh, fraternities. You said you were at Clemson, you, because obviously that's what gives you the principal credential to weigh in on, on the subject. So uh, t- talk about that. You were at Clemson, and you, how, what was your experience uh, in what's called Greek life? Since I'm Greek, I always have to like pause. It's like, no, it's not about that. It's about uh, frat houses. Uh, and maybe you can actually, before that, tell us why it is that, you know, tell us about the word fraternity, but then tell us about why did they adopt um, Greek letters so that we now know of, uh, you know, fraternity life as Greek life. What, what, what was that? Just that's, a that's classical true. influence in the 19th century education? I, that's exactly right. So fraternity started at Union College in Schenectady, New York. There were three men who were veterans, and they missed the camaraderie of serving together, serving in the military. And so they got together at Union College and decided to form a fraternity. They met with a professor in his office and said, hey, we want to do something. And because at the time, sort of being grounded in the classics was so normal, unlike it is today, that, of course, they wanted to sort of resurrect sort of of Greek influence of, of, of camaraderie and brotherhood, sort of deep connection and community. It was it was out of that. It was it was out of a, a longing for camaraderie and this strong sense of, of brotherhood that they chose the word fraternity. Okay, so this is so I mean, 
1824 in Schenectady. A bunch of veterans. Now, I don't know, what, what war were they in? The War of, the war of 1812? Or, or I guess maybe they were just serving in the military together, and then they decided to go into university. We don't need to talk about this now, because I want to talk about your Clemson experience. But it is fascinating that men seem to long for brotherhood, for camaraderie. There's something in men that longs for that. Uh, and that can be for good or for ill, obviously, as you write about in the book. Um, so I want to touch on that because that's so fascinating that that's how it all started. But what, what was your uh, what, what pushed you, you know, as a very young man at Clemson to say, I want to be in a fraternity? Well, I mean, I, I was like a lot of my students sort of seeking a deep, connection with a group of brothers, sort of have a path, sort of have a, a tribe, right? You sort of want to be a part of a group. Guys want to be a part of a group. This idea that, that, you know, sort of Americans are individualists and kind of lone rangers is absolutely false, right? Guys want to be a part of a group. In fact, from way, way back, they were like the little rascals, if you can remember that, that, that program, That's right? one of the greatest things ever. Hal Roach, our gang comedies, that's like the greatest. Yeah. Ever. I didn't think we were going to go there. Thank you. Well, you can go from there to the Three Stooges. I mean, yeah. all the way to Happy yeah. Days. I mean, sort of all these media projects, right? Yeah. yeah. Sort of explaining. You can see the deep longing that guys have in the community. It can be for good yeah. or ill, like a gang, for example. Yeah. Right? But Hal Roach's our gang was innocent. So it's kind of funny. The, the word gang has taken on this thing. But we. this is my gang. This is my group. Yeah. This is my, you know. And there's something really beautiful about that and that is particularly masculine that that there's something about guys that long for for having something like that well and i've seen some great psych data on this what, what essentially happens is that when when men are are deeply embedded in a community of support with brothers and and sort of comrades if you will they're much more willing to take risks they're much more willing to be brave they're actually, they're actually much more willing to be compassionate and empathetic. They're much more willing to put their lives on the line for others. They're actually much more likely to live out the cardinal virtues when they have a community around them to encourage them and push them, yeah. right? To encourage, right? To put courage in them to be great men. And great men cannot be great without other men. It's absolutely impossible. We've never seen it in American, in, in not just American history, but in, in the history of human culture, we've never seen a culture where men have been great outside of a community of men to put courage into them to do amazing and outstanding things. And guys want to be heroes. They really do. I mean, we, we, we are in a season of Halloween and costuming. And what do you see kids do? Boys put on costumes often of heroes. And they have this intuitive sense, a sort of intuition that I cannot be a hero alone. I can only be a hero when I have a squad with me, right? And so what do they do? They want to join a community of men to make them great. They have that intuition. And when I was in college, there's someone who wanted, who had aspirations to be a leader, things like that. I knew because of the, own, the history of fraternities, particularly in the black community. So I, I play as Alpha Phi Alpha Incorporated, which is historically black fraternity. Uh, some of our most famous members are Thurgood Marshall and Martin Luther King Jr. You may have what? heard. What? 
some of our most famous men. That's pretty famous. Yeah. You may have heard of W.B. Du Bois and, and people course. like that. Right? Also W.B. Du Bois? Yeah. Our fraternity. Is, it, is there any fraternity in the world with like three names like that? That's uh, kind of impressive. It is impressive. We have more. I could. Are you a, kidding? There's a long, See, long at list. Clemson. There's a there's a long long there's a long long list of of men in Alpha Phi Alpha who've essentially changed America, but that's a that would be a different conversation. Yeah. But my fraternity was founded at Cornell in 1906, uh-huh. and it served as one of the Divine Nine. So the the Divine Nine is a is a collection of historically black fraternities and sororities that really saw themselves, one, as, as forming leaders out of college to be placed in the community to be leaders later, second to, secondly. Right. So when I was growing up, I mean, part of what it meant to be an African-American in the community was to be a part of Greek life. I mean, my, my mom's in her 80s. She pledged Delta Sigma Theta, and she still goes to sorority meetings once a month. So in the black community, Greek life is not simply about those first few years of college and then it sort of ends afterwards. This sort of college is the preparatory phase for pressing into being a community leader. And so during the civil rights movement, for example, the fraternities and sororities in the black community were heavily involved in organizing and, and fighting for, for freedom and justice and, and things like that. So when I was in college, sort of growing up in a community in Atlanta where sort of postgraduate Greek participation is really, really high. I thought, well, it's a natural thing for me to want to be a part of as an African-American, one of the divine nine Greek organizations in order to be a leader in, in this country. I know Thurgood Marshall was at Howard University in 1930 because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he came to America, he visited the South and visited Howard. Um, so that's another thing to mention is that when you join a fraternity, you're joining a fraternity that connects you not just to that chapter of that fraternity in that college, but that connects you to all the fraternity brothers across colleges, across that. That's kind of a magnificent uh, networking. If you did it only for networking possibilities, that's an extraordinary thing that that. Uh, Alpha Phi Alpha, is that what you said? That that would be um, a connection to all of these people, uh, you know, through, throughout the country and all the alumni. So that, that, that's a very interesting, in other words, that would just be a very attractive reason for somebody, you know, to, to join a fraternity. Absolutely. It's, it's a huge draw. I mean, to know that you will be a brother in a fraternity which puts you in, in, in a legacy yeah. of great men. Yeah. And here's the thing. High school guys want to be great men. That is just a fact. The problem is they don't have a good roadmap for that. And few people are investing in them and encouraging them on exactly how to do that. So one of the big issues I've had in terms of, in terms of how we relate to young adult men is we simply are, we encourage them by negation. What I mean by that is, don't be bad, right? Don't mistreat women. Don't haze your brothers, right? Don't abuse alcohol and drugs, but they aren't telling them what to do. Right. They aren't giving them the virtues of greatness and excellence. They aren't giving them prudence. They aren't giving them, you know, sort of justice. They aren't giving them the cardinal virtues 
it is formation by negation, which is, which is not formation at all. And so we have a, a whole cohort of young men who are trying to figure out what to do, what to be with this sort of heroic impulse that they have. And what they end up doing, we, we're seeing this right now, is they're on YouTube trying to figure it out. And so that's why, if you want to ask, why is it that college men are so driven to these influencers on YouTube? It's because there's a vacuum. You should do a book on this, maybe. There's a vacuum of instruction on how to be an outstanding and excellent man. There's like, there's like nothing out there for them. And so they're joining fraternities to try to recapture some of those virtues and to join a legacy of men who've proven and demonstrated that they've done it. For more than 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider standing behind their values and their exceptional service. They're an example of putting the cause ahead of profits, and it's why I am proud to partner with them. Starting today, Patriot Mobile is extending their Black Friday deal to the Every Friday Matters deal, and you can get a free smartphone when you switch today. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you access to all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding the left. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're Supporting free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, our veterans and first responders, and more. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Keep your number, keep your existing phone, or for a limited time, get a free smartphone from Patriot Mobile. Go to patriotmobile.com slash metaxas or call 972-PATRIOT and use promo code FRIDAY76. Again, get a free smartphone with promo code FRIDAY76. This is a limited time offer. Join me, make the switch today. patriotmobile.com slash metaxas or call 972-PATRIOT. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful at lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Just the other night, I was asked that question. Well, the owners of Relief Factor tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and I agree with them. And the doctors who formulated Relief Factor for them selected the four best ingredients, yes, 100% drug-free ingredients, and each one of them helps your body deal with inflammation. Each of the four ingredients deals with inflammation from a different metabolic pathway. That's the point. So approaching from four different angles may be why so many people find such wonderful relief. If you've got back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or just getting older, you should order the three-week quick start discounted to only $19.95 to see if it'll work for you. It has worked for about 70% of the half a million people who've tried it and have ordered more. I'm one of them. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800 for relief to find out about this offer. Feel the difference. Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness, and then a sequel, Seven More Men and the Secret of Their Greatness, which are short biographies, because sometimes you can help people get virtue, um, or get the concept of virtue as they read stories of greatness, right? You read a story of greatness, and without telling people it's this value and that value, you, you see it and you kind of pick it up. So that's in some ways, for the same reason you wrote this book, I, I wrote the book Seven Men, because I thought we lack 
in our culture, um, any uh, a number of the things you've already mentioned, but but we don't talk about virtue. We don't model virtue. We have we now denigrate virtue. Uh, if anything, we're going to denigrate or mock virtue or these kinds of uh, heroism. It's mocked. Um, and as you're saying, men in particular automatically in, respond to this kind of thing. And so that's why I wrote those books. But the, but your idea of using um, the Greek system, the fraternities that already exist as a delivery system for this, I, I think is genuinely brilliant. It's amazing. And I, I, that's why I was just so excited to talk to you about this, because it really is. It's it's simply a great idea. It's an amazing idea that these things already exist, uh, and if we could get any number of them to begin thinking along these lines, um, and then even the fact, as you say in the book, that there's historical precedent. They, they used to be uh, shaping men in a good way, and it's only really in our lifetimes that this has kind of gone sideways. Every single campus that I speak to a fraternity and I invite them to a heroic life of virtue, they almost come out of their skins in excitement. And on almost every campus I go to, this is the sort of response that I get because I say, hey, again, why don't you use all that you're about, right? Use your power, your presence, your creativity, all that you have, right? Your strength, use all of that for the benefit of your brothers in your chapter and everyone else on campus. Whenever I invite them to that, I get a standing ovation every single time. And this is what they say to me. No one talks to us like this. There's no one inviting us to be great men. No one, no one, no one believes in us. Right. And so what I tell them is, like, I believe in you, and I believe that you can actually use the virtues and the values and the mission of your fraternity because they're back... You know, this, these were these were developed in the in the early to, to mid nineteenth century, so they're sort of classically Judeo Christian. All of them, they have these. All of these fraternities have fantastic values and virtues and mission statements. And if they plug back into those, right. it will not only change the campus; it'll change the country because out of that cohort will come the next generation of America's leaders. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say now and to read in the book that you are being invited to speak um, uh, at colleges around the country on this subject. Um, it's interesting that their response is that we, nobody's talking to us this way because, uh, I mean, let's face it, the, the, the culture has gotten profoundly confused on these basic issues. Even when you mention uh, masculine traits or whatever, there's e either confusion uh, or derision um, and I, 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 I'm just so grateful to you for turning that narrative because the, the hunger is there, as you've just said. Well, I, I, think, I think what happens is that so much of the current cultural discourse is about how bad men are. Not just the word toxic, but yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. And, and that men make things worse. Yeah. This is, and think about your average 20-year-old, 18, 19, 20-year-old has grown up in a society and a culture yeah. where they've only heard how bad men are. Yeah. And they've just experienced shame and rejection. Not encouragement, right, but rebuke and shame and rejection because you're a mistake. And if we could just get rid of men, 
the world would be. Yeah, no wars, no serial killing. How great that would be. Um, You use a term, I wrote it down uh, in the book. You talk about disordered masculinity and the purpose void. Um, That's the issue, isn't it? That, that, That you and I, men of faith, we know that God's idea of masculinity or the tra- traditional Judeo-Christian view, uh, or even the Western view of, of masculinity, is fundamentally heroic. It's fundamentally meant to be self, um, not self-serving, but selfless. That's the, the model, you know, obviously we can talk about chivalry. That's been there for the longest time, and it's only recently in a way that uh, masculinity has been uh, defined in terms of toxicity. What, what, I mean, I don't know if it's worth getting into, but how, how that happened, because it really is, um, I always say that if you denigrate men, you will be harming women. There's just no way around it. If, if, you, if men do not embrace this heroic view uh, of masculinity, it means they will embrace something that is the opposite of that. They, they don't go away. They will simply channel their uh, energies uh, uh, into, into negative things. So we are seeing some of that. Absolutely. I think, you know, when, when, when do you want to start the clock on, on when it went south? Yeah. I mean, you could actually go back to the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. You could go back the, that, that far if, if, if you like. But, I mean, there, there, was, there has been this sort of incremental sort of disdain for all things masculine in the name of liberating other communities to experience freedom and justice and, and things like that. With the overturn of Roe v. Wade, lots of companies are coming out saying they'll pay for employee abortion travel and expenses. Most of you have heard about some of these companies. You've decided to stop shopping or doing business there. But did you know that you most likely own stock in those companies through your 401ks, IRAs, and other investment accounts? Folks, this is a huge problem, and we need to do something about this to send a message to Wall Street through our investments. You need to go to inspireadvisors.com slash Eric and get a free Inspire Impact Report. This This biblical investment analysis will educate you on what's really in your investment accounts, like companies paying for abortion travel. You need to go to inspireadvisors.com slash Eric to connect with an Inspire Advisors financial professional who can run your report and help remove companies paying for abortion travel today. Go to inspireadvisors.com slash Eric. That's inspireadvisors.com slash Eric. Advisory services are offered through Inspire Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Are you tired of not getting a good night's sleep? Well, my friend Mike Lindell has created the perfect solution. He didn't just stop at the pillow. He also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. Made from the world's best cotton called Giza, these sheets are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. And now for a limited time, you can get 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets with prices starting as low as $29.98. These sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors and have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Take advantage of this amazing offer. Go to MyPillow.com. 
Radiotaxis.com and click on the radio podcast square and use promo code Metaxas at checkout. You can also find deep discounts and all my pillow products, including the My Pillow 2.0 mattress topper and My Pillow towel sets. Don't wait any longer to get the best sleep of your life. Take advantage of this amazing offer. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square and use promo code Eric at checkout. Don't wait any longer to get the best sleep of your life. Call 800-978-3057 or go to MyPillow.com now and use promo code Eric. In the season where we where we really wanted to empower women, and in, in many cases, there was a place for that because of, of the ways in which we, we pursued culture and kept women from, from doing things. But what happened is that instead of, instead of celebrating and empowering, right, sort of encouraging women, we did it at the expense of, of men. And it's really fascinating and, and somewhat depressing uh, when you have situations where, and I've, I've actually heard people say this, that we, we have to keep men down today because of what men did abusively in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And I, I want to say, wait, wait a minute. What does this 18, 19-year-old lad at the University of State College yeah. have to do with what happened in 1940, 50, 60, et cetera? And so there has been this, we need to sort of celebrate and empower one gender, yeah. which, but by doing that, it's kind of a zero-sum game. We can't do that. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. Right? This is cultural Marxism. It's like it's a zero-sum game. The world is not constructed so that it works along the zero-sum game thing, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. So this idea that I'm going to, in order to lift up women, we, we have to push down men. If that worked, I would say, okay. But when you push down men you end up pushing down women. There's no way around it. You could say the same thing around the, the race issue. The zero-sum game uh, argument doesn't work. It's, it's intellectually confused and is leading to further uh, harm uh, to women. Uh, so, so it's tremendous irony. So that, that's part of how we got here is the zero-sum game cultural Marxist paradigm that has, being, has been pushed strongly in our lifetime. And this is why we have the purpose void, because there's so many young men today who have no idea why they're needed. They, the culture doesn't tell them what, what we need them for. Now, in part, that's been precipitated and, and, and altered by just sort of changes in the market, right? So we don't necessarily need men's physical strength as much as we did 100 years ago. We have machines and technology to do, to do some of that. But men are really lost. They don't know where they fit in. And, and the culture isn't really providing them a pathway to understand what it means for them to be adults. They just don't, they just, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? So here's been the result of that. About 60% of all college freshmen are women. About, we have about 9 million prime age working males ages 24 to 54, who are not working, doing nothing. Uh, we have a mental health crisis among young men, 15 to 24, spiking in, in depression, anxiety, and suicide. Massive amounts of drug overdoses with young men, especially in Appalachia. 
It's an opioid crisis. What are we seeing right now in Seattle, San Francisco? We're seeing fentanyl take out young men. The suicide rate in this country is, is spiking. Most, most suicides in this country are men. It's something around 80%. So in one sense, it worked negatively. So men are lost. They're depressed. And what they've chosen to do is simply resign. They're not protesting. They're not burning down things. They're not necessarily wreaking havoc. They've just withdrawn. They say, well, I'm out. So what are they doing? Video games, endless amounts of time on the Internet. Because the Internet says, well, if you, if you don't have anything to do out there, well, then you can create an imaginary world over here and, and practice some heroism. You can be important and you can, and you can matter online because you don't matter in society and, and in culture. So a lot of women are like, where are the men? And that's a great question. They're off the grid. They're not working. They're not in school. By the way, they're also not in trades. People think, well, the, the young men are in trades. No, 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 they're not. They're doing nothing. They're doing nothing. And so for me, I'm thinking, well, what's the one population of guys who are willing and ready to do something? who are engaged, who are aspirational, looking for a pathway for that. And then I end up thinking about that small population of men who are actually in, in college. So the, the, the purpose void is, is really, really massive. And one of the things that I tell, I, I invite men, and this is when they get really excited, I invite college fraternities to, to develop this reputation. Because you're right about the, the, the context in which women, women's lives are better when men excel in excellence and virtue. It's just, it's just a historic fact. I say, hey, listen, guys, why don't you make your fraternity house, why don't you make your house, the, the reputation on your campus is that your house is the safest place for women on campus. It's the best place for women on campus. In fact, women, when, they, when women leave your house, they will be better off than they were when they came. What if the reputation on, on your campus is that when women are with you, you all, you and your brothers, they feel a sense of dignity and honor and respect and joy and celebration. They have a great time, right? And they become better people. And you, I, I've seen this on campus after campus after campus. When I invite men to treat women with great honor and dignity and respect, they get elated. They're like, we want that. What do we have to do to get that? And you, I've seen them taking notes. Their eyes get big, and they get, they get really, really and excited. And what woman does not want to marry a guy with that attitude? Absolutely. That's extraordinary. Absolutely. And what's interesting is that no one is inviting them to do that. So what do we say to them instead? Don't sexual assault women. Don't treat them badly. But we don't say, hey, treat them well. Treat them great. Here's how to deal. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And this is where older alumni have a role to play. Fathers have a role to play. Older men have a role to play. And helping to give these young men some sort of vision or coaching or, or tutorial on how to treat, treat women well because they actually want to do it. They want to be great men. They well, want to be good men. They really I mean, do. We, we, we would say, you and I, that we're hardwired by our creator to want that. That's, it's there. It's, it's not like we have to find it. It's already there. Part of the, the issue here um, is the narrative, the way the narrative has changed over the decades about what am I supposed to do with my life? There was a time in America when the norm was uh, I'm supposed to man up. I'm supposed to find a good wife, 
have a family, support the family. In other words, if you start there, you already have a reason. You say, well, I've got to support my family. I've got to work hard. I've got to sacrifice. I've got to whatever that is. When that norm goes out the window, we encourage this perpetual adolescence. this publicly, but because uh, I was married with a child, that made me be able to write my biographies of Wilberforce and Bonhoeffer. I know, I can say this, I know I would not have uh, gone through what it took to do that because it was very, 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 very hard unless I knew... I had to do it. I kind of had to do it. It wasn't just about me. And I think you write about that in the book, uh, about discovering that you can do more than you thought you could because you're as a rite of passage. Talk, talk about that a little bit because that's, to me, you know, rites of passage for men and women, uh, but we're talking about men. Th- that's been a staple in cultures around the world. That has gone out of our culture. Yeah. One, one way the, the psychologists talk about this is a, is a failure to launch. Yes. Right. Just they, they're just stuck in delayed adolescence yeah. or arrested development, if you want to use that, that phrase. And that's partly precipitated by a generation of their parents who have so much money that they don't have to launch because their parents are paying their rent for them. Right. Parents are saying, you can just stay here and figure it out, even though you're 33. And there's just no pressure to, to move out because their parents have so much money. Just we're sort of talking about Gen Xers and younger boomers are loaded. And so one of, the, one of the greatest wealth transfers in American history will be the parents of millennials to them. It's going to be massive. And they don't have to do anything. Right? And you're right. There was this natural progression of like, okay, go do You got to get out of here and go do something. And, and in the West, and this is a part of, of our affluence, there just hasn't been that pressure. And so what we've done is we've let, we've let adolescents and we let children and young adults create their own rites of passage because we didn't, we didn't provide one for them. They just made up their own. So what did it include? It included alcohol consumption. It included the ability to pick up girls. It included the ability to jump off something really dangerous and not split your head open, right? So they, they sort of created their, their own their master own passage. And this is one of the benefits of fraternities is, is they are designed structurally to provide a rite of passage from boyhood into adulthood, to be challenged with things, that you have to overcome obstacles together, and you learn that you have these gifts and capabilities that you didn't know that you had, and you have a group of people saying, we believe in you. So what, what happens? You face these obstacles together with a bunch of your brothers. You discover gifts and interests and passions and opportunities and, and all sorts of capabilities that you did not know you had. You're now excited about those, 
And then you go back in the community when you graduate college to use them. I was interviewing someone this week from, from the, the University of Michigan. He's in a fraternity. And he was explaining this specifically, that when he was in high school, he was a bit of a loner. He didn't, know, he didn't have any social skills. He wasn't really a leader. But he's only been in the fraternity a year, and he says, I've come out of my shell. I know how to talk to people. I know how to do conflict resolution now. And so now he wants to be a leader in, in his fraternity. And now he has these aspirations to be a different kind of person. And that's only because the fraternity gave him the opportunities to sort of transition from being this really timid, isolated, 130-pound high school grad to sort of this developing man who now has the self-confidence to take risks to be leaders. And this is what the rite of passage does. It gives these lads self-confidence. And that's one of the things I've seen over the years in terms of exercising the need to exercise wisdom is that if a young man does not have self-confidence, he will not make wise decisions because he's too afraid of being rejected and being kicked out of the tribe. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.